Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, former professor of theology and culture at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he also served as their fourth president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Hello and welcome. At the church where Jim founded and where he currently serves as a senior pastor, and that's Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, that's where I also work and where I attend, we just wrapped up a three-week series on the very popular method of self-discovery right now known as deconstructing or deconstruction. And while you will most often hear that term or have in relation to celebrities or or leaders it's becoming it's it's being adopted more and more by just every an everyday person when they find themselves in having an identity of crisis you know whether that's related to their faith or their associations or their values or something different altogether jim i was hoping that you could start off today's conversation by giving a quick synopsis of what people mean when they say that they're in the process of deconstructing yeah and it is different for every person but um but let's let's see if we can understand kind of in a broad way how it's being used right now, particularly the last, say, three, four years. It's been real big, really, since COVID hit. Um, but let's go back to, to an earlier story. In the late 1990s, uh, Joshua Harris burst onto the Christian scene uh, with a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye, a treatise on dating and courtship, as the title would allude. Uh, book sold millions and made him, in one observer's terms, an evangelical boy wonder. At 29 years old, he became the lead pastor of a megachurch in Maryland, as well as a principal uh, player in a group called Sovereign Grace Ministries. But when that movement was torn apart uh, by, among many other things, accusations of a systemic cover-up of child abuse, he found himself, in his words, deconstructing. Um, and he left the ministry in, um, in 2015, and in 2019, he announced that he no longer identified as a Christian and that he and his wife were divorcing. Uh, he told Newsweek that it was uh, problems in his church, mistakes he made as a church leader, among other experiences that led to his falling away from Christianity. As Harris put it, um, that was all part of my deconstruction process, questioning the things I built my life around or had built my life around. And that story, variants of it are the kinds of things that you're often hearing right now. And it's why the terms deconstruction and deconstructing have become part of our cultural vocabulary. The term deconstruct to some can mean rejecting Christianity entirely. It can mean for others just um, the process of rebuffing or removing certain cultural beliefs or practices associated with Christianity. Uh, for some, it can mean you come full circle after you've deconstructed and you believe exactly what you believed before, only with more um, conviction and clarity. But for almost everyone who uses the term, it involves some kind of, of deep processing uh, of how they were raised, uh, what they had been led to believe, lifestyle practices that they had embraced and groups that they had belonged to. And so it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very personal kind of 
processing and rethinking of previously held convictions and values and beliefs and ideologies. Hmm. Now, you mentioned Joshua Harris and his particular process of deconstructing with with regards to the Christian faith, but what are some other things that people are deconstructing from these days? And I'm so curious as if this is linked to the times that we live in, like if the things that we are deconstructing from now are those things because of our, I don't know, cultural practices or ideologies. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I put them in four categories, the four B's, okay, of what people tend to be, uh, uh, when, when you talk to them and and they, they use the term deconstruction or maybe they use another term for it, but you know that that's kind of what they're referring to. Um, the first one is behaviors, uh, lifestyle issues and morals. So for example, say, um, someone very close to them comes out as trans or as gay or some other lifestyle thing that might cause them to to rethink where they stand on that behavioral issue, that that lifestyle issue, that moral issue, or maybe they go through a trauma in their own life, and and they uh, divorce maybe, and, and it makes them kind of want to, or it leads them. And I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just saying it leads them to deconstruct or at least go through a process of evaluation of where they stand on marriage, where they stand on divorce, where they stand on remarriage, and things like that. So behaviors. Uh, and that can often be triggered by a lot of different things. The second B is belongings. And that is associations and, and, and groups you're part of, ministries, denominations, a local church. Um, just where, you know, you, you were belonging to this and then something happened that made you maybe not want to belong or, or you're just not sure about belonging, you know, <laughs> in general, or, or just whether you, you or where you want to belong. And it may have been that you never questioned it. And then all of a sudden you just say, gosh, I never thought about this. Maybe I should think about this or something triggered you wanting to think about it. Uh, third cluster of areas has to do with beliefs. And that's just basic Christian doctrine hmm. uh, and people, um, you know, just evaluating just basics of the Christian. I'm, I'm keeping all this in a Christian context. I mean, there's all, you can deconstruct from all kinds of different contexts. But just speaking of Christianity uh, would be beliefs related to historic Christian orthodoxy. And, uh, and then the, the fourth one is interesting to me. And, and in many ways, I think it's the fourth one that has been the real trigger for the, the current, I don't want to call it a fad because that, that makes that, that di- diminishes and devalues it. And this is going to be a very deep and important serious thing with people. Sure. So I don't want to make it sound faddish, but I think the wave that we're experiencing right now is largely the fourth B that um, is, is, and that is the bundlings. And what I mean by bundles, it's like, you know, how when you have a phone plan, they want to bundle a bunch of stuff in with your phone plan Mm -hmm. and uh, that you maybe didn't want, didn't want to pay for, but you're you're stuck with the bundle. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people, and I'll just speak about evangelical Christianity that just have not liked what has been bundled with evangelical, classic, historic evangelical Christianity of the last, in the last uh, three to four years. Uh, And a lot of that is, you know, like, okay, all of a sudden I, I thought I was a historic Christian um, evangelical Christian. And all of a sudden what it means to be evangelical now is where I stand on a vaccine or where I stand on masking or where I stand on Trump or where I stand on this political candidate or where I stand on immigration or where I stand on, on, on January six riots or where I stand, you know, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What happened to Jesus? Just, just Jesus. (laughs) And, and, and you get all this stuff in race issues and responding to race issues and where you stand on critical race theory. And, and all of a sudden there's all this bundle around, um, the Christian faith and a lot that that has triggered a lot of people to want to uh, you know deconstruct 
maybe that some of that stuff wherever they stand on that issue i mean you get christians on all sides but deconstruct that stuff from you know because it got attached to it and they don't want it attached to them and their faith so there, there those are i would say the four main areas where this is happening you know, it's so interesting. While you were teaching the series, I hopped on to the online campus for some of these, and I was able to view the chat as you were teaching. And as you walked through, like the basic points that you just walked through, you also provided so many anecdotes and personal stories. And it was so interesting reading the chat of how vulnerable and honest people were, you know, coming from all sorts of spiritual backgrounds or unchurched backgrounds about how the specific things that you mentioned were like you, it was like you were reading their minds. They, they were saying like, this has been my hangup or this has so frustrated me, whether, you know, in their own personal life or an obstacle to coming to faith. And I think it was a healthy process for some people to acknowledge that there are some things, some behaviors and associations and, um, and beliefs that even as we are pursuing a you know, Christianity the way that we were intended to, that we should deconstruct from. And I was hoping that maybe you could share a little bit of that now. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I did uh, share several personal stories uh, in the series where, um, particularly when we were talking about belongings and, and church, uh, because, um, you know, I want, you know, I, as I think I said in, in, in the series, if anybody should be a poster boy for having deconstructed from the Christian faith and abandoned it, and certainly never being involved as a pastor, it should be me. Hmm. And I went through some of the things that I'd gone through in my life where I had been deeply disillusioned uh, by extremely dysfunctional churches that just had, a, a, you know, a trail of pastors' bodies in its wake or uh, highly legalistic environments or situations where uh, leaders that I looked up to had, you know, that uh, proved to be uh, deeply entrenched shadow lives. And, 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 and I just... There was one instance that took place right after I became a Christian when I was young in college where I was just devastated by a moral failure of a leader that I had looked up to. And then, of course, I shared what has happened even more recently in my life and um, that we actually did a podcast on that we can link to in terms of where I shared that story. Yeah. Um, but, um, but, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do was to say, OK, let's talk about what, you know, what what is happening right now in our world and why are we so disillusioned? And I said, let's just let's name it. Uh, the moral failures of church leaders, the, the toxic church cultures, the systemic patterns of covering up child abuse or covering up sexual abuse, uh, the misuse of power or authority, um, greed, uh, financial scandal, uh, narcissism among leaders um, and entrenched legalism and racism, the whole celebrity culture around certain Christian leaders and the toxicity related to that. Uh, bigotry, misogyny, um, churches becoming deeply partisan and aligning themselves with one political party or another and on and on it goes. And, and I remember the week that we started the series, um, I was, I was just reeling again and, and was, you know, with, um, how more stories broke into the headlines, just even, even as we started the series, you know, the, the Hillsong network of churches were being investigated again for financial misconduct. And then, uh, I think it was the largest evangelical church in Canada, or certainly one of, um, additional victims of, of sexual abuse and sexual misconduct from its former senior pastor surface, as well as other people on staff, including the abuse of a minor. And then, then at the very next day, the Department of Justice opened a federal investigation into multiple denominational agencies 
of the Southern Baptist Convention in relation to um, its report of widespread abuse and systemic cover-up. And um, and I, you know, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, stand before people and say, look, uh, you think you're hurting? Mm-hmm. I'm hurting too. And, and, and we're all hurting and, and, and God is hurting. And, and so, you know, it was, it was, it was very important, I think, for us to kind of talk about the cultural elephant in the room. Yeah, absolutely. You know, something else that I really appreciated so much about your take on deconstructing was how, as you defined it and the process of it, you, you know, the word deconstructing almost kind of sounds like a misnomer now because when people think of deconstructing, they usually think of tearing something down or walking away from something and then that's it. But you described it as a process that, yes, includes that, but doesn't end with that. So for those of us, uh, the, those who are listening, can you describe what comes after what's typically referred to yeah. as deconstructing? Yeah. Yeah. This, this, is, this was important to me because I really feel like what we're calling deconstructing can be a God thing. And God wants us to deconstruct for an awful lot of stuff that he doesn't want that baggage attached to an authentic spiritual life. Deconstruction is usually the second step of a three-step process, or it should be the second step of a three-step process. The first step is obviously whatever got constructed in your life. You went through a period of construction. Uh, somehow, some way, someone, uh, you had certain behaviors implanted in your life, certain groups or communities that you were a part of. You had certain types of associations and beliefs. For most of us, that was in the home. Uh, for example, maybe you were raised Catholic. And so your construction, you're a, you're a Catholic constructed mm-hmm. person. Uh, then comes the second step, which is deconstruction. When something in your life triggers a time of introspection, uh, of reevaluation, could be a personal crisis, like a divorce or the death of a loved one or a severe illness. It could be uh, the lifestyle choice, as I mentioned, of a friend or a family member. It could be disillusionment with a leader or a group that you once held in high regard. It could be just simply the way you see Christians divided and polarized over the last three years on everything from you know vaccines to race. Mm-hmm. Whatever was the catalyst, you began rethinking the most foundational uh, feelings about lifestyle, association, beliefs, and what you want attached to your faith. Now, some people think that's where it ends. Deconstruction is just a pruning away. It, it means demolition. Something is lost, but nothing is really gained. Something is, is, is rejected, but nothing is accepted. Uh, something is stripped down, but it's never really rebuilt. Um, you know, I was like, I was raised Catholic. I deconstructed. And so now I'm wonderfully nothing. Mm. Well, as if in rejecting much of maybe the bundling and baggage of Catholicism, it automatically meant that you had to abandon Jesus too, or, you know, there couldn't be something left of Jesus there. Yeah. But that's not what a true authentic process of deconstruction holds. At least I would argue not a healthy one, uh, because here's the third step after construction and then deconstruction comes reconstruction. Deconstruction doesn't have to mean destruction. It can be, it can be reconstructing something that's 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 really 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 healthy. Um, it can mean walking away with a faith that is more vibrant, more real, more alive than ever before, more realistically and authentically connected with other people of faith, more committed to. Um, a way of life that flows from the heart of God, more dialed in with the heart of the Christian faith than ever before. The catalyst for most people's de- uh, deconstruction, and often what keeps it from going into the reconstruction mode in a healthy way, is because of you know a, a really simple breakdown. And and this was something that I hammered home in in this series because I wanted to make sure, hey, wherever you are in this journey, and and, and whatever you know, you need. Here's one big headline. 
the things that often cause us to deconstruct uh, moral failures in the church, toxic cultures, racism, cover-ups, you need to deconstruct from. Those are bad things. You hate them, God hates them too. But they have nothing to do with Jesus. Hmm. Nothing. <laughs> nothing to do with who he is and what he stands for and what he means to our life. It's just a what we're, what we're kind of rejecting is a bunch of people and organizations screwing up everything about Jesus. Um, those things, you know, when you have a leader that falls, that has nothing to do with Jesus. When you have a toxic church culture that you run across or you, you know, you hear some, you know, story about like, say, you know, what happened with Marcel Church and, and Mark Driscoll or some of those kinds of things. And you instantly, if you instantly just say, well, that's just the church. No, it's not. It was that church <laughs> and, 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 and has nothing to do with God's call in your life to give yourself to his bride. And it certainly doesn't, you certainly don't want to denigrate his bride that he loves so dearly. He tends to be very jealous about her. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that we need to be careful. You know, the, it's a terribly old phrase, but it's true with this, not throw out the baby with the bathwater and mm -hmm. understand, you know, uh, what that baby is. Well, I think you mentioned a little bit about this earlier in the podcast, but certainly in the series as well, that you're not talking about this from like, I don't know, as someone just from the outside looking in, but rather you have experienced this yourself. You experienced your own disillusionment within church and yet you're a pastor. So I'd be curious to hear a little bit more perhaps about your personal experience with deconstructing, what that has looked like for you. You know, for me, it started as a as a young boy. I think you 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 you've heard me mention this in a, another setting, but um, when I was like seven or eight years old, I remember I, I had this horrifying moment where I realized that everything that I believed about religion or Christianity or spirituality was simply because my parents told me it. Hmm. But who made them right? Okay, uh, why, why would that make it true? Hmm. What if they got it wrong? And if I'd been born in India, I would have had parents telling me about Hinduism. So, so why, why? And, and my mind was just, you know, I, I, I remember, and I said, you know, I remember I went into the kitchen with my mom and uh, it, we, it, was, it was a weird kind of setting where um, there was a lot of intellectual stuff going on with Christianity, but we were very unchurched. But uh, I remember going in and asking my mom, so why, 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 why are you Christians? Why are you a Christian? And and it it it, it floored her. And um, and um, but what was interesting was her response to me. It was essentially she said, "Well, you don't have to be, hmm. and you're welcome to explore all the other world religions and decide which one you think is true, if 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 any of them are true, and you're you're welcome to do that." And, and I remember at the time feeling that, 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 that for me, you know, that was a daring answer for most yeah. parents. And it's not one I would necessarily recommend. <laughs> but, but for me, um, I remember feeling a sense of relief, like it was okay to explore. It was okay to, to investigate. And, um, and, and there, was, there was a security in that. In other words, there wasn't an insecurity on her part, if, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. Um, so that, it, you know, I, it, it, my own deconstruction, if you will, began early uh, in that sense, in terms of my own spirit, my own mindset. I, I shared very much over at length or in the series about how um, I never wanted to be a pastor, mm -hmm. never wanted to give my life to that. And I had an experience as a pastor of a First Baptist Church 
in a county seat town just outside of our seminary when I was in seminary, just finishing my seminary and starting my PhD. And, um, and really the only reason I did that, and I, I, I get into this more in the talks, but the only reason I did that was because I know I needed to have something like that on my resume if I wanted to teach at a university or seminary that was attached at all to a Christian, uh, a private Christian school. And also, um, the money, I, I, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, the parsonage, you know, so, and, and it was, it was really a terribly dysfunctional church, incredibly toxic. And, and, and I was going to be the fifth pastor they'd had in nine years. And, and, um, the guy who had preceded me had had an emotional breakdown and literally collapsed in the pulpit while giving a talk. And he was given a 90 day medical sabbatical, which he used to find another church. Smart guy. And, um, and there was another guy, the guy before him. Uh, the chairman, the guy who's now the chairman of my deacons had come and knocked on his door, the parsonage during the dinner time, while he was sitting there with his family and asked if he could step out on the, the doorstep and said that it was time for him to move on. And if he didn't, he'd make it so hard for me to have to. And in that particular kind of denominational structure of that church and its size, it wasn't a veiled threat. And so, uh, and, and I, I, there I was, and I even had to, we were, we had, you know, uh, fistfights had to be broken up during Sunday school hour between two Sunday school teachers, because they didn't want, anyway, it was, it was terrible. And so if anybody says, well, I've been in a really bad church environment, I says, oh, really? Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, I would, I'd like to have been leading that one oh, or trying okay. to. And uh, so, and I, I walked away from that saying, well, there's one thing I know, I don't ever want to be a pastor. And, and so, and, and, you know, again, I, I, I shared about that and that led to, but a healthy deconstruction. And here's why I say healthy, because what happened was in the midst of that, and you've, you've heard me share on this, Lex, is that in the midst of that hellish experience, I would lie awake at night and dream about how church could be hmm. and should be. You know, I have conversations uh, that would go like, oh, gosh, wouldn't church be great if? And what yeah. if we could just be freed up to do that? Or what if what what would it be like to have a taste of healthy community? What what, what would it be like if, 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 you, if you really were reaching people for Christ, if there was authentic worship what, what i mean what 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 would a healthy church if a church was being the church you know and 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 that that vision captivated me and so there was a healthy deconstruction of not wanting to do with legalism and toxic cultures and broken dysfunctional relationships and and all you know outdated methods and all of that stuff but i didn't throw away the church if anything a new vision for the church birthed in my heart and so you know that's what i mean by hopefully there can be healthy deconstruction that leads to reconstruction. And um, so that was, that was a bit of it. Um, and I, you know, and I've also, and we can put this in, in the blog notes too, in the, in the show notes. And, and I don't want to give too long of an answer for this one question, but um, I, I did a, a series of blogs on, on evangelical Christianity, its mm -hmm. history, my role with it. And, uh, and, and, um, and it was very, I tried to be as transparent as I knew how, because I felt like what it means to be an evangelical when I would have openly said I'm, I'm a conservative evangelical. I, 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 I now feel more I, I need to say I'm, I adhere to historic Christian orthodoxy because of the way the term evangelical has been so co-opted in various ways. It had nothing to do really with its history and its true meaning. And I've, I did a whole I did a series of blogs on that and um, that uh, that may be helpful. So I, I think that sometimes and which brings up another way of you can. I don't know what you would call it deconstruction, but there are some things that you find yourself separating yourself from. And it's not because you've deconstructed, it's because it's gotten weird. Oh, interesting. 
Yeah. You haven't changed. But it's like, like I said, I said this, I said, I don't feel like there's like with various things, I don't feel like I left them. I think they left me. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, as you are telling your story again, I mean, just your gosh, terrible experience, you know, within a church and I just, what an, another like testament for why this needs to be that three-step process. Like I just, I think I was listening to that heartbroken for everybody who maybe was in a similar situation for you in their own, in their own way, but walked away disillusioned, you know, rather than letting themselves dream or go through the next process of the, the next step of, of reconstructing something so much more beautiful than, you know, what they yeah. constructed from. Yeah. You, you let that church become the church in your yeah. mind. You let that leader become leaders, mm -hmm. pastors in your mind. You let, you let, you, you, you just extrapolate it out and apply it and you get suspicious on everything and you think the worst of everything. And, and you think like, um, you know, so, okay, now every pastor of a large church who, you know, whatever is, must be bad with a deeply entrenched shadow life or, or, um, you know, on and on it goes and, and you, you, you know, um, or, uh, yeah. So it, it, it's, it, that, that, that's been, that's been really disheartening to me personally, uh, over the last few years is the, the painting of a, of a broad brush of, of, um, because of what's been surfaced almost like this assumption that it's just, that well, that's just the way those ch churches are or leaders are, or that's just the way Christianity is. Yeah. And, and that's why I want to say, no, no, no. Mm. I mean, every leader is a sin stained, sin soiled person, but there's, there's good men and women who are trying faithfully to follow Jesus, who love their wives and their families and their spouses and their, and, and those closest to them, their children and their grandchildren would attest to their integrity. And, 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 and the staff, you know, there's not like a staff around them that, you know, know that they've got all these anger issues and, and they're chasing women and stuff. And, and their staff would say, you know, well, you know, they, I mean, they're a pill, but you know, they walk with Jesus. <laughs> you know, I, I love them. And the other, I got it, you know, but you know, and, and so I just, I just wish that with that, that, that pains me because of these, these things are so widespread that they become almost um, the, the assumption. Sure. Yeah. And like you just dare to dream about, you know, if you had let that be the final word and, you know, didn't, didn't think beyond, didn't, you know, think to create a different kind of church, didn't, you know, found, find, you know, or with, um, you know, create this church, you know, what a different story, not only would you have had, but then also all of the people that have been affected by this ministry. And so just, yeah, yeah. I just, I think I, I just am sad to think about what could have been for so many people who just walked away rather than, yeah, letting themselves dream again. That's, yeah, yeah, that's a tough thing to swallow. Um, we, we've mentioned a couple of benefits, obviously, that deconstructing can be a really healthy thing, but there's also there's also a dark side to this too, right? Like some dangers. And specifically, I'm thinking about how subjective this process can be. You know, you mentioned how some people can deconstruct, you know, all of really what they should deconstruct from, all the things that are, you know, really not what what God had in mind. And that can be a healthy thing and they can emerge with a purer faith, but then other people can just deconstruct and leave the faith altogether. Like there's not a, there's not a blueprint for deconstructing or like a, a playbook essentially. So I guess my question is like, is there a right way to do this or yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I am concerned about people who say they're deconstructing and really what it is, is they're wanting to rid themselves of conviction from, for example, in a pre-existing Christian faith so that they can have license to pursue a lifestyle they already chosen. Hmm. And much of 
what the lifestyle they chose is what led to them to reject the Christian faith because the Christian faith condemned the lifestyle they chose. Hmm. Um, and so if your whole motivation for deconstruction is not to get really closer to an authentic faith, but rather farther away from it so that you can validate a lifestyle that you've chosen. So it's like, no, I want, I want to have, I want to divorce my wife and, and pursue this affair that I'm in with this woman. And you do that. And then you know, you come out and you say, but no, I'm really, I'm kind of deconstructing the Christian faith. And then it turns out you find out later, no, you were in an affair and divorced your wife and you're fleeing. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a big, there's a big difference there. And, and so I think that there can be a very inauthentic use of the terminology as a smokescreen to simply uh, the choices that you're making that, you know, are, are, are not of God and are not a part of, part of the Christian faith or who you were as a Christian leader. So, um, and, and so, yeah, I think that that's the dark side. I think that you, when you're, when you're deconstructing things like legalism or toxic cultures or, or, or religious abuse or cover-ups, that's, that's one thing that's a, you know, that can be a good thing. But when you're using this language and this ethos and this, this thing, you know, that we're talking about, and it really is just because you have chosen the dark side. Hmm. And, 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 and so you, you don't want the light brought to bear on that choice. And so you're fleeing and, and, and this is not anything new. It's, it's new to put deconstruction language on it, but it's not anything new. I mean, I've, I've been, you know, I've, I've led Mech for 30 years. I've been in Christian leadership and ministry of one form or another for almost 40 years. And you just see patterns. You just see how people are. And one of the things that I've observed is that when someone is, confronted and I don't, I don't mean that in an unloving way but it's somehow confronted being like you know they're, they're it's discovered they're in an affair it's you know the, the wife finds the text messages that you know, that's that's what um or it something surfaces like that um you know nine times out of ten they just flee mm -hmm. they just flee they just they just leave that setting and create a new narrative somewhere else where someone doesn't know that story when they can still look like the picture perfect you know uh you know, thing. And so I, I, it's, it's a sad thing. It doesn't solve anything. It's a sad thing, but, um, uh, but yeah, but that's, that's, it's just, so this is just a new way of fleeing. Well, it makes me wonder, I mean, I'm sure I, I know I have in my own life and I'm sure a lot of our listeners do too. You know, they know people who are maybe currently in the process of maybe they wouldn't use the word deconstructing, maybe like finding themselves or something like that. But, um, apart from a relationship with God, and based on everything that you've just said, like having God as a part of this process is so important. But for those of us, you know, who have, you know, people who do not have God as part of the equation, what might we say to them or how might we encourage them, you know, as they're going through this? You know, I would, I think the most important thing you can do if you're a Christian and you have a friend who's a non-Christian or if you're a Christian and you have someone who is a Christian friend who's kind of maybe working through a bunch of this stuff is don't overreact. And just keep the communication lines really open and just say, you know what? You're not the first person to have those questions. You're not going to be the last. It's a fair question. It's a good question. And, you know, let's, let's agree that if Christianity is true, it'll stand up under any amount of intellectual scrutiny. And let's also keep everything focused on Jesus and where you stand with Jesus. Because I've always said, you know, you can have a thousand of these questions circulating around and there's going to be so many that you'll never get answered in this lifetime. Never. But you have all these questions and you can let those almost, I would say, tertiary questions become primary. The primary question is, was Jesus was who he said he was? And if you can settle that he was who he said he was and work outward from that, 
then you can live with more mystery than if not. Hmm. And, and so I would say, keep the communication lines open. Um, uh, don't overreact, understand that deconstruction, as I've said before, and say now it's a normal process. It can be a healthy process. Don't be scared by it. I mean, it can be, it, it needs to be, I think, led and informed and nurtured and encouraged. And, and if, and any way you can kind of, uh, uh, inject, uh, you know, God into the process, truth into the process, a sense of due north into the process, help someone with their thinking, uh, with the process, then, um, then all the better. And then from that, look for every way to kind of nudge God in. Mm, that's really helpful. Obviously, there's so much more that we could talk about on this subject, which is why you did a three-week series on it. So we will certainly link that in the show notes so that you can listen to it. And I know we do have a lot of listeners who are in ministry or you know who are actively involved in their church. And I just kind of want to, as someone who experienced, you know, this series, listening to it and thinking about it for my own life or those in my family, and again, watching the chat and the response, I just want to shamelessly plug that if you are in ministry and um, can either, you know, teach others in your church about this or tell your pastor to, the response at Mech, and I know Jim would know more than I do, but like the response at Mech, just based on what I saw, was so overwhelming. And I kept hearing people say time and time again, like, this could not have come at a better time. And that's not unique to our church. I feel like you would have a very similar response at your church as well. So just something to think about. But like I said, we'll link that series in the show notes if that gives you some more ideas. But we'll end our conversation for now. As always, thank you so much for joining us and listening. And we hope you have a great week.